Happy Mother's Day to all those here who it applies. Glad you are here on Mother's Day. We have someone in our church who um, has come forward to be baptized, and whenever that happens, we want to make sure it happens as soon as possible. Uh, We don't have a baptismal here, so we have to kind of free up some time. The lake's a little cold right now. Uh, So we're going to do a baptism on Memorial Day weekend. We're not quite sure where yet. But if you've not been baptized as a believer, I want to strongly encourage you to be baptized. Come talk to me. Come talk to Pastor John. We're doing a baptism after church on Memorial Day weekend before the summer gets going. I know some of you may be visiting from out of town, from Mother's Day, or a variety of other occasions. I kind of just want to give you a heads up where we're at. What we do on Sunday morning is go through books. We start at the beginning all the way through until we're done. And we finish the book of Matthew. But right now, we're, we're kind of doing something a little different. Um, I'm finishing up a degree at Trinity. And part of my final project, or maybe you would call it a dissertation of sorts, is a six-week pilot sermon series on the book of Proverbs. Specifically, the, the project is about preaching Christ in Proverbs. And if you've read Proverbs, you're wondering, where is Jesus in Proverbs? You don't remember him there. When we talk about preaching Christ in Proverbs, we're meaning we preach Proverbs like Jesus came, like he occurred, like he showed up on the scene, like the New Testament happened. And that's the way we want to read all our Old Testament books. We want to read them as Christians. We want to read them in light of the cross and the gospel. And so that's what we mean by preaching Christ in Proverbs. And in the fall, by God's grace, believe it or not, we're actually going to attempt to preach through the whole book. I know, it's going to be crazy. But for now, I'm trying out select passages, giving some passages a test run to see how different parts of the book work. And I know it may be a little disjointed right now. I'm sorry about that. But we are going to kind of just jump around for the next five weeks that are left. Last week, we looked at chapter 2, which is part of a uh, nine-chapter introduction to those one-line proverbs you may be familiar with. So we looked at chapter 2, which was the introduction. Now, most of the Proverbs are written by King Solomon, and they're in the context of a father addressing his young son. Now, as this young son uh, follows wisdom, he will grow up and continue, by God's grace, to continue to walk in wisdom. Now, we can't cover it all, but within the first nine chapters, there's a reference time and time again to the idea that wisdom is at times depicted, get this, in symbolic terms, as a woman. She's called woman wisdom. And woman wisdom is going to watch over this this little boy's life as he grows up and as he heeds the word of God. And and woman wisdom, if the the youth continues to seek wisdom, seek truth, seek the Lord, woman wisdom will, will guide and protect him. But if he walks with woman wisdom... Maybe, by God's grace, one day he'll be blessed with a real woman, a godly and excellent wife. And that's the place that Proverbs ends up. In chapter 31, we have the embodiment of wisdom in a real woman, the excellent wife. And that's what we're going to look at today. So if you can turn to Proverbs 31, let's stand up and read it. Proverbs 31 Starting in verse 10.
An excellent wife, who can find? She's far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises wild as yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hands to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. You may be seated. If you're a single guy in here and one day you want to get married, you may have been thinking about what you're going to look for in a future wife. And as you've been looking around for a future wife, you may have become a little frustrated because you can't find what you're looking for. You know a lot of girls, you run in a lot of circles, but you cannot find the right, perfect woman just yet. But in your uh, more um, pensive moments, when you have some time to be quiet, you maybe wish that you could take different characteristics of different girls that you know and combine them into one perfect girl. Now, I'm not talking about physical characteristics, but maybe you've thought some thoughts like this. You know a certain girl, and she is so, she's so compassionate and kind. You go, that is her strength. But then you know another girl, and she is a, a great initiator. She is a great leader. And then you know another girl, and she really knows the Word of God. She can teach, and she can lead others in the Word of God. And you just wish that you could take different characteristics of different girls, combine them into one girl, and then that's the girl you would marry. Well, I have some good news for you. Here she is, right here. Proverbs 31 woman. Get excited. And you say, absolutely, that's the girl I want to marry right there. Here's the problem. She does not exist. Now, if you're married, you can turn to your wife and say, Honey, she does exist. It's you. You're the ideal woman. You're the complete package. You're the real deal. But behind her back, you can tell the truth. (laughs) Come on now. She doesn't exist. All right. This woman is the ideal woman. She's like the combination of all these great strengths of many different women 
just crammed into one. It's like you take all the wisdom and Proverbs and just throw them into one girl, and, and there she is. These are the qualities that guys are to look for in a future wife. And these are the traits that, that women want to imitate in their own lives. And, and, I, and I think that, that this understanding, that this is not a real woman, this is the ideal, I think it's helpful in two ways. First, for women, I really think this passage to take the pressure off of you, okay? It almost seems like a cruel joke to be preaching Proverbs 31 on Mother's Day. For some of you who've grown up in church, you've heard Proverbs 31 on Mother's Day all the time, and it makes you feel terrible. It's not helpful. Well, here's something helpful. She's not real. Takes the pressure off. It just talks about how awesome she is. Doesn't talk about her issues. Doesn't talk about her sin. Doesn't talk about her weaknesses at all in here. So the pressure's off. This is a woman that you can see some godly traits that you would like to see in your life. And for the guys, you need to understand, this is the ideal woman, to know that this woman does not exist. She's not out there. I know some guys that are just hunting around, just looking, maybe you're just looking for the perfect woman. She doesn't exist. And I want to tell you this, this is important for you to know. Because be careful that you're not passing over a lot of godly women because you keep looking for this. This is the ideal, the perfect. This is what you should look for, some traits that you look for. But not, there's no complete package. But this woman right here. So, Let's begin in verse 10. The question is asked, an excellent wife who can find? And all the guys may say, not me. It's supposed to be one of those questions where you think it's a rare find if you can find an excellent wife. This poem is taught by a mom to her son. So if uh, you women in here are thinking this is some, some psycho poem that some guy made up to impose upon women, it's not, it's not, it's not from a guy. It's from a, it's from a girl. It's from a mom to her son. And this should be encouraging for you moms who have sons and you think that you can't influence your son. Here is a mom influencing her son on what to look for in a future wife. Jump back to verse 1, if you can, of chapter 31. It says, the words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. Now, as we said, most Proverbs are written by Solomon, but this one comes from King Lemuel. We do not know who he is. We know he's a king, but we don't know anything about him. I'm sorry, I have no information. We just, we just do not know. But we know that he had a wise mom who taught her son. And as he was teaching her son, he, she, she said, son, don't go after women plural. Jump to verse uh, 3. Look, look. It says, do not give your strength to women. Notice the plural. Your ways to those who destroy kings. He said, you want to be destroyed? You go after the harems. You know, you start developing these multiple wives. No, do not do that. It almost seems like it's a rebuke at the end of the book to Solomon, right? What did he do? Multiple wives which is his downfall. But that's another topic for another time. Tells this, tells this boy, don't go after multiple wives, but go after the excellent wife. And, and when we have these Proverbs, sometimes we look at such big sections we can get confused. So I'm going to give you three broad points to consider from Bruce Walkey. And this is the way we're going to outline the book. So let me put this outline up for you. Her value, verses 10 through 12. Her activities in 13 through 27. And her praise and 28 through 31. That's where we're going. hope you can follow along. It should be fine. Let's go. Her value. Verse 10. An excellent wife who can find. 
She is far more precious than jewels. Now, in what way is this woman more precious than jewels? In what way is she valuable? And part of the answer is actually seen in the structure of a poem. You would not think the structure of, of a poem would really tip you off much, but this one really does. Look at that, that, that footnote in uh, verse 10. If you've got the ESV, you see the 10, and you see that little 4 right there. And if you follow that 4 down to the footnote at the bottom of the page, this is what it says. Look at it. Verses 10 through 31 are an acrostic poem, each verse beginning with the successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So each line begins with the successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. As we would say in English, we would say from A to Z, this woman is complete. But we're not done with the structure. The scholars have actually broken down this poem, and they believe that the structure is something called, don't get thrown off by this, something called a chiastic structure. Now, I'm going to give you a picture of what a chiastic structure looks like. Let me show you this. Don't let that throw you off. Come on now. Now, the A matches with the A, the B, the B, the C, the C. That's kind of how it works. Like, for example, the A up top is the high value of an excellent wife. Down low, the high value of an excellent wife. And it pretty much is saying the same thing as it works inward to the most important part, the main theme, the center of the poem. So the main point of this poem, the most important point, the main theme is seen in verse 23. Look at it. Look at verse 23. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. You're like, what? Oh, the poem is all about the woman. Well, it is all about the woman, but the one learning is who? It's the young man. It's the youth as he is growing up in life. He is to be impressed with this woman and how she empowers her husband to be successful. So as he sits among the esteemed elders of the land... It's not just because he's a good leader. It's because he has an excellent wife. So why is this woman so valuable? It's because she enables him to flourish. She empowers him to be all who God called her to be. So, so guys, you're looking for a future wife? Find a woman that will empower you to be all God's called you to be. Verse 11. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. It means the world to a husband to know that his wife is on his side and not against him and that he can trust in her. Did you notice the trust language? Look at it again. It says, verse 11, her husband trusts in her. The Bible doesn't talk like that. The Bible talks about us trusting in the Lord. In fact, there's only two occurrences in the whole Bible about people trusting in other people. And one of them is right here where the husband trusts in the wife. Well, why does he trust her? Well, look again. Verse 11. He trusts her, and it says that he will have no lack of gain. Now, this is where Proverbs 31 gets get to be really fun. The word gain can be translated plunder. So it's like his warrior wife goes out during the day and she gets all this plunder. <laughs> it's like she's aggressively going, trying to make provision for her family. And she comes home with all the goods and all this plunder and brings it to her husband. And, and this husband can trust her. He trusts her because he can go to work and his wife is not going to plunder him. 
Some guys actually have that worry that their wives are going to plunder them. But she goes out and gets all the plunder and brings it back to him. It's like, oh, yeah, that, that's the kind of woman I want. I trust in her. He trusts in her. There's a woman named Lydia Brownback in her book, A Woman's Wisdom. I'm actually reading a book written to women. I'm not sure why, but it's a really good one. It's called A Woman's Wisdom. Uh, she has some good questions for wives on trust and doing good to her husbands. So we run through these questions. Question number one. Does your husband trust you? Let me just keep going through these. What level of trust does he have when it comes to family finances? Does he trust you to keep his confidences, the things he shares with you and you alone? Does he feel safe with you because you consistently build him up in his faith and his efforts at family leadership? I mean, I don't know if you know this, but one of the greatest insecurities of guys for Christian men is leading their families. They just feel like they're, they're, they're tanking on that, they're bombing on that, they're failing on that, and they, they need encouragement. Let's keep going. How about with the way you handle his failures? And then this quote from her, it's wonderful. A trustworthy wife is one who is concerned more about doing him good than about how much good he is doing her. Wow. This woman is valuable because her husband can trust her because she's looking out for his good. She's making sure that he excels. She's making sure that all that God has called him to be, he's going to be, and she's going to make sure of it. She's going to take part in that. She's going to be the excellent wife. That's why she's so valuable. That's her value. Well, let's look at her activities. Now, before we look at her activities, I'm telling you, ladies, this is the ideal woman. She does not exist. You try to copy her activities, you will burn out, go crazy, do something psycho, okay? Just understand, don't try to imitate these activities. But they're a good pattern, all right? But not all of them. First, she's a hard worker. Try to follow along with me here. Verse 13, we're going to pop around here. She seeks wool and flax. And works with willing hands. Jump to verse 19. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. You're like, well, what is the girl making? What is she making? Well, let's see. Verse 21. For all her household are clothed in scarlet. Verse 22. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Verse 24. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. So here's what's happening, right? She's making bed linens. She's making coverings for her household to sell. Basically, this woman is a clothing designer. She's awesome. Clothing designer. And not only does she sell clothes, but she barters for stuff with her clothes to get stuff for her family. So she trades. Look at verse 14. She's like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. So now, first she was a warrior who plundered, and now she's a merchant ship. She's got her clothing line. I wonder what it looked like, this clothing line, all loaded up on the ship, and she's going out to the market, and she trades. Here's my clothes, and she gets this awesome food for her family, and she brings back this exquisite food from afar. And she's making coins. She's making dough. She's making a lot of money. Look at verse 18. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. She's, make, she's making money. In fact, 
she's making so much money that it seems like she has her real estate license and she's going to go out and buy some real estate. Look at verse 16. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. Now, the, the quote there, the fruit of her hands is probably the income she gets from her clothing line. She's able to buy a field and she's able to plant a vineyard in the field, which is going to make a wine. Are, are you following here? This is a hard-working businesswoman in the Bible. What is she doing in the Bible? Is that the Bible you grew up reading? A hard-working businesswoman who's making some cash, who's buying fields, who's trading. What, what is going on? Is that, that's in the Bible. Let me show you another image in the Bible. I'm going to put it up on the screen for you. This is Titus, chapter 2. It says this. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So Paul instructs older women to instruct younger women to be working at home, to be busy at home. So which is it? (laughs) Should women go to work or should they not work and stay at home and raise the kids? And I want to say is this. There is some serious, strong opinions on both sides. So much so, you typically will find a church that goes one way or the other and is proud about it. And I know people in here have different opinions, but this is not something we fight over in this church at all. You need to develop your convictions. You need to develop what you think, what you believe, what seems wise in your context. And if you're not married and you're dating someone, you're thinking about getting married, you talk about this stuff beforehand. Do not come into marriage. We have two radically different ideas of the way you want your home to function. So people have different opinions. Some women choose to stay at home exclusively and work hard. And I'm going to tell you what. Being at home, taking care of kids is hard work. And all the mothers say, amen, it is hard work. Some women in here choose. They have strong gifts and callings and desires to pursue a career. And some women in here just flat out work out of necessity. They need the money. They have to work to survive. So either way, I say you glorify the Lord. But in the midst of working, for those women who who work, we want to encourage you, we want to build you up. But I want to say this. In the midst of working, I want to encourage you to always lean in the direction of your family. Always lean. Lean in the direction of your family where you make them a priority. And I know each family, each marriage, that's going to be worked out in different ways. And the reason why I want to argue for you if you work, and we encourage you in your work as you, if that's what you're, you're called to do, is we want to tell you that it seems that that's what the woman in Proverbs 31 is doing. She is a successful businesswoman who leans in the direction of her family. And she makes them priority. And I don't understand everything that's going on culturally back then. But it seems like somehow... Her family is a big priority for her. Let's keep going through the passage. Look at the priority of her family. Verse 15. 
She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. The word food here can be interpreted as prey. (laughs) It's the image of a lion hunting prey at night. So this woman, she gets up so early, she goes out while it's dark to get prey for her family and her servants. She's aggressively making sure that her family is provided for. But not only is she providing for her family in food, and, and as we know, she has the vineyard, and she does her grocery shopping trading, but she's also diligent in the way that the family is organized to make sure they're taken care of, and she has no fear of the future. Look at verse 21. She's not afraid of snow for her household. For all her household are clothed in scarlet. Do you like that? So she has, her, she has her family prepared for the winter. She's organized. She's got clothes for them. My wife rocks at this. I'm telling you, I don't know how she does it. We have six kids, and so she has six coats, six snow pants, six pairs of boots, six hats, 50 different gloves that may or may not match, and then just somehow appears when it's for winter. I don't know where it just comes from. And then when winter's over, it just disappears. And the next season rolls out, and all the clothes, and I don't know how she does it. And it's amazing. A lot of these clothes come from the church. It's like the church is passing clothes around, and my wife can say, that jacket's from that person, and that one's from that person. It's amazing the organizational skills to make sure that our family is safe in the snow. And I love it. And our kids do as well. So this family, she makes her family a priority. She's organized. And the best part here is... um, She's not lazy. Look at verse 27. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. She's not on Facebook all day. She's not checking her email all the time. She's not wasting time. She's watching over her family. She's not giving in to the bread of idleness. She's making sure the finances are taken care of. She's making sure the children, the servants, all the practical stuff. And she gives herself enough time because she gets up when it's still dark, and she goes to bed really late. Look at verse 15. She rises while it is yet night. Verse 18, her lamp does not go out at night. Uh, Remember, ladies, do not try to imitate this woman. You will wear yourself out. You do not have to get up at 4 and go to bed at midnight like this lady's probably doing. Don't, Don't even try it, okay? You will wear yourself out. But the point is, is she makes the most of her time, and she does not waste it. She serves others. She's self-sacrificial. It probably leaves her tired and exhausted. I know Mother's Day is glamorous. The kids give you little trinkets and stuff, and it's really cool. They celebrate moms on Mother's Day, and it's all glamorous. But it is hard work. But it's done because it's out of a self-sacrificial spirit for others. But not only is she working and prioritizing her family, but she even has time to care for the poor. Look at verse 20. She opens her hands to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. So that's her hands. It's a practical helping them. Maybe she gives them some food. Maybe she brings them into their house. Uh, You know, if if you're a single woman, God may have given you a heart to care for the poor, and you can step up and care for the poor, but if you're a married woman, do not use the excuse of your family to not care for the needy. Do not say, well, I'm married now. I have my kids. I can't care for the needy or the poor. No, no, no. Here's a woman. 
She's got everything going on. She has time, makes time to care for the poor and needy. And she's also a wise teacher and kind. Look at verse 26. She opens her mouth with wisdom. And the teaching of kindness is on her tongue as she interacts with other people. She's, she's, she's wise and she's, she's kind and she's gentle in her teaching. And guys, I don't know what you're looking for in a wife. But you want to find someone who's wise and kind. Because the Proverbs warn against, against the woman that you marry who is, who is nagging and complaining. So much so you've got to go live on the roof to get away from her. You don't want to marry that woman. Kind. Wise. Those are the words that, that you want to come out of your mouth. That's, women, that's the words you want to come out of your mouth. You, you want the fruit of the Spirit to be developed in you, and you want that virtue by God's grace to be part of you. And the last activity and characteristic of the woman is that she maintains her godly character. Look at verse 17. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. I'm like, well, why are her arms so strong? Well, maybe it could be from all the designing of clothes. Maybe even from working out in the field, planting a vineyard. Just, just know that her, her workout, you may go work out. Her workout is all the physical work she's doing. She's got some pretty strong arms. But it's not just her arms. She clothes herself in strength. That's talking about her character. Verse 25, look at that. Strength and dignity are her clothing. And she laughs at the time to come. So it's, it's not her wealth, it's not her clothing line that makes her strong and secure, but it's her character. She's not anxious about the future. She laughs at them because she trusts in the Lord. Get this. In all of her, care, in all of her activities, buying and selling and making and caring and all that stuff, in all her activities, she takes time to cultivate and develop her character. So no matter how busy you may get, women... You always want to make sure that you're making time to maintain godly character. So we have her value. We have her activities. And the book of Proverbs ends with her praise. Verse 28. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also. And he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. So this woman, she's, she's lived out godly um, wisdom, and so she is to receive praise. And she receives praise from those who are closest to her, her husband and her kids. And it doesn't look like they're faking it. Looks like they actually mean it. They're bringing her praise. And her husband says, there are a lot of great women out there, but you, you're the best. And not only are their kids and her husband praising her, but the community gets in on the praise as well. Look at verse 30. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates. And as the book closes, it ends where we start it, with the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is this foundation of wisdom. It's this inward state of trusting and obeying the Lord. The temptation for all of us is, is not to look on the inward fear of the Lord in other people or in ourselves, but the temptation is to look outside of us 
uh, for meaning rather than trusting the Lord from the heart. And, and guys have their issues and girls have their issues. And on Father's Day, guys, we'll talk about your issues, all right? So come back. It's going to be fun. But guys, guys tend to look on status. They tend to look at accomplishments. While women, not all of them, but a lot of women tend to focus on beauty. There's nothing wrong with beauty. There's nothing wrong with an attractive personality. But that charming personality can be deceiving. And beauty can be fleeting. It will be fleeting. It will go away. And that's why we're emphasizing here, where the Word of God is emphasizing here, is that this inward adornment of fearing the Lord is to be praised. So when we find a woman who fears the Lord, we praise her. We find a woman who's walking with Jesus, humble, broken over her sin, finding forgiveness in Christ. She's not perfect. She knows that. She's fallen. And yet she is going to Christ for grace and mercy. She wants to obey him. That is a woman who fears the Lord. And that is a woman that we should praise. That is a woman that we should acknowledge. In fact, that is a woman that won't just be acknowledged in her family, but she'll be acknowledged on her block, in her community, in her city. That is the woman that should receive the praise from us. You see, when Proverbs 31 was written, many think that it was written as a corrective to the Near East culture that solely focused on the beauty of women. I think this book was written, uh, this, this chapter here was written as a corrective. And, and I would say, wow, it's, it's very interesting. Sounds kind of like our culture. Our culture tends to focus solely on beauty and praises beauty, where many guys are just looking for physical beauty. They're totally ignoring the heart. They're totally ignoring the fear of the Lord and other girls. And, and women tend to fall just in line and strive after looking better while ignoring their hearts. Let me tell you how this looks. This is kinda, it kind of happens in your childhood, and it creates who you are right now. There is this girl. Her name is Julia. She is in the eighth grade, and she is from Maine. And she is in ballet. She's 14 years old. So as her ballet class is about to start, all her friends are showing up, and her friends are showing up, and they're saying stuff like this. I'm just having a fat day. I feel so pimply. I feel all these blemishes on me. And Julia's like, well, you're like 14. What are you talking about? You're having a fat day. What are you talking about? You're all pimply. And she didn't know what was up. She goes, what's the problem? And so this, she, this, was, this is going on in her head. What's the problem with my friends? And so she was reading her favorite magazine. And her favorite magazine is Seventeen. And so she's flipping through Seventeen, her favorite magazine. And she realizes that all the girls in the magazine are perfect. No fat. No blemishes. And no pimples at all. And she's like, that's it. These girls have all been digitally touched up for perfection. And it made her mad. And so she started to blog, and she started to petition to fight against what she considers as the sexualization of girls in our culture in a lot of these magazines. And this is what her petition was trying to do. This is really good. So she was going right after a Seventeen magazine. Now, there's a lot of magazines that do this, but Seventeen magazine, she was really going after it. And she was going to challenge them. She said, I challenge you to print one photo 
per month of a girl that has not been touched up. Just one. We'll see what happens. We'll see if they comply. But when I hear that story, it kills me because those 13, 14-year-old girls turn into 18-year-old girls, turn into 25-year-old girls, and grow older and older. And the mindset is it's all about beauty. It's all about looking good. And you know what this turns into? It turns into obsessive working out. It turns into endless diets. It turns into eating disorders, countless beauty products, maybe even the extreme of plastic surgery for some. And that's, that's what we're consumed with. And get this, but the Bible says, no, 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 don't praise the outward beauty. Praise the woman who fears the Lord. That's who we should praise. And the guys don't help, do they? Guys don't help at all. They're like, okay, yeah, look great. <laughs> Fuel the fire. And so you have guys, they're, they're looking for the beauty. Just give me the beautiful one. And, and sometimes they get the beautiful one, but then she's not beautiful enough. They dump that for another one. And you, you see guys in marriage, does their wife grow older? They're like, you, you don't look so good anymore. And they go after the younger wife. And for those who stay married, go after their little digital beauty on the side. And I know some guys in here, you want to push back and say, man, you're not being fair to me as a Christian man. <laughs> Is it okay as a Christian man to find a woman who fears the Lord and has a great personality and is beautiful. What's wrong with that, Pastor Jason? Does not the Song of Solomon exist for a reason in the Bible? You see attraction in there. And so I'm going to talk back to you and say, okay, sure, you can have the beautiful woman with a great personality who fears the Lord. But I want you to be honest and to tell me, in your heart of hearts, what characteristic is most overriding? I'm not saying you can't be attracted to someone else. That's totally, totally legit. But what characteristic is overriding? I think what often happens in Christian churches is we tend to imitate the culture. And I I just want to say this. I feel like a lot of godly women are being missed. A lot of godly women are being passed over because there's something else in the beauty of that you're looking for. And I know some of you women just want to stand up and start praising the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Because you totally agree with that. You see that. You feel that. And the thing is, this, is, this, is, this, this beauty-only potion is what we've been drinking our whole lives. We've been drinking it as men. We've been drinking it as women. And we come, and we look at Proverbs 31, we say, I want to stop drinking that potion of the world, and I want to start drinking Proverbs 31. I want to start seeing real beauty. Well, how do you do it? How do you change? How do you change to, to quit thinking always on the outside and start thinking on the How do you change? Now listen to me very closely. This is how you change. You get caught up in another kind of beauty, in another kind of relationship. You change by getting caught up in another kind of beauty, in another kind of relationship. Adam and Eve, when they were in the garden, they were walking with the Lord. And it was beautiful. It was beautiful. They had communion with God. And you know what happened? They sinned, and all of humanity became ugly in their sin. I hate to tell you that, but you you know, when you were born, you might have been cute. 
but you were ugly in your sin. And the Father wanted us back. He wanted us back in a relationship to him, so he pursued us. You know what he did? He sent his son, Jesus Christ. But when Jesus came, he wasn't beautiful. Oh, that sounds heretical. What? He wasn't beautiful. In fact, here's a verse. Isaiah 53, verse 2, it says, He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and get this, and no beauty that we should desire him. So Jesus laid his glory aside, and he took on the form of flesh, like we have, and yet, on the inside, he was beautiful. He was perfect. He was without sin. And the beautiful one, Jesus Christ, went to the cross to die for ugly sinners. That was God's pursuit of us in love. And when he died, he was buried, he rose again. When we repent and believe in him for forgiveness of our sins, get this, we become the beautiful ones. And we get caught up in this beautiful relationship with him as his beautiful people. And the word talks like that. Let me share this with you. Ephesians chapter 5 talks about how we're the bride of Christ. Listen to this. Ephesians 5, 25. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy, and look at this, and without blemish. So we have our sins forgiven, the righteousness of Christ given to us, and now we're a people of beauty without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, without blemish. In Christ we are loved, we are his beautiful people, and what we want to do, we want to get caught up into this beautiful relationship with the Lord. This morning I was driving to church with two of my kids in the back seat, just minding my own business, had Moody Radio on, and a song came on there by Keith Green called, Lord, You're Beautiful. Let me put the words up for you. Oh, Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I seek. For when your eyes are on this child, your grace abounds to me. I was just minding my own business, driving to church, and this song comes on, and then I just start crying. I don't like crying around my kids. They're in the back seat, so I'm trying to hide it from them. There's nothing wrong with crying around your kids. Cry around your kids. That's good. But I'm crying. I'm like, I cannot believe the Lord. He's so beautiful. And he loves me? Really? Grace? Wow. I cannot believe it. And I think when you get caught up in this beautiful relationship, it just changes the way you start to see other people. It changes the way you start to see yourself. And so when you want to get married, you're like, I'm so caught up in this love relationship with God who's pursued me as his bride. And you just look out and you want to find someone else who's just as caught up. And if, and if, you're, if you're a woman, you want to get caught up in this relationship and stop believing the lies of the world, that you're beautiful. You are beautiful in Christ. Don't believe the lies of the world. And if you're a guy, a husband, you want to encourage your wife to get caught up in this relationship with the Lord. And if you have daughters, you want to encourage your daughters to walk in beauty. Don't say stuff like, well, okay, okay you can say it, but don't say it too much. Don't say stuff like, 
That skirt is just too short. You need to have a longer skirt. You need to quit putting on so much makeup. You think, oh, that's going to, that's great. Say that, yes. But that's not going to help her be beautiful. You know what's going to help her be beautiful? Is when the dad cannot believe how much God loves him in Christ. And he's just totally overwhelmed by the love of God. That's going to make your daughter walk in true beauty. You watch. What we want as a church is to be caught up in this wonderful relationship. We are the bride of Christ. The one who was ugly on the outside, but yet so beautiful, died for ugly sinners. And he is the most beautiful one. He is beautiful beyond beautiful. And talk about praise. He is the one we should praise. And that will overflow into our lives and affect the way we see others and ourselves. Let's pray. Lord, you are beautiful. You have made ugly sinners beautiful in your sight. I pray for any of the women in here who have been struggling, thinking that they are worthless, feeling rejected, wondering, some are wondering if they're ever going to get married. Some are in a marriage and don't think their husbands even like them. I just have to let them know that they are beautiful and you love them. Lord, I ask you to just change the guys in here, their hearts. May we quit drinking the beauty of the world that just totally ignores the heart. May we encourage women to fear the Lord, to walk with him. In Jesus' name, amen.